All right, while you're finding your seats, I'm going to keep talking here because I have a couple of quick updates for you. Um, we have been working very hard on trying to finish up the, uh, that big eight or 10,000 foot section of the Grace Impact Center. And we're, we've got the floor down, the turf floor is down, the nets are up on the ceiling, it's all been painted, the ceiling's been painted, the walls have been painted, everything's been put in place, the nets are going all the way around, and uh, we're, we're not very far away from completion. It looks really nice now, but there's a few things, obviously, exit signs and some electric stuff, and make sure everything's hooked up, and, but we're really getting there, it's, it's almost there, and I want to personally thank... Every one of you have sacrificed not only your time, but your resources to bring this about. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we still, there's always end type of things that happen. The electrician needs a little bit more of this. And they told us this week we had to put the, um, um, the pipes in for a sprinkler system. That's going to cost another couple thousand dollars or whatever. So if, you, if you've been waiting to the end, this is your chance. We need a, couple, we need a few more thousand dollars to finish it off. We're going to finish it off one way or the other, just to let you know. Um, and it's been exciting. We hired a full-time person. His name is Kevin Schwieger. Um, we went through a process, and he is now the pastor of sports ministries. His job is pretty much to live over there. He'll be over here too as well. But his job is to be over there and invest in the lives of the people that will be working and, 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 uh, and just using that facility and to work with all this congregation to set up different leagues and opportunities for us with the children, the youth, the adults to use that facility. There's got, I'm going to figure out a way to get everyone through there because, you know, you come in here every Sunday, you think, oh, it looks pretty good, but you have to see that building. This, that building is twice as big as this whole entire building, all classrooms combined. And we have a, we have a field now that's as large as a sanctuary. We have a turf field. We also have a sport court field, a futsal field for basketball and everything else. We, we do upward in our, in our house and, uh, you know, for basketball and for football, all kinds of things. It's going to be a great, great use, a uh, great, great opportunity to use that for our community and for just for our church to have some fun with our children and maybe the guys or the women. If you want to do a basketball kind of pick up, it'll be a great opportunity for that. So I just wanted to update you on that, let you know we're kind of coming down to the end. We're also coming down to the end of our series called Jesus Help Me Understand. And I I saved this one for last. It's Jesus Help Me Understand Satan. Okay, so we're going to talk. You come to church for the first time and I'm going to talk about Satan. I promise I won't shake my fists and do fire and brimstone stuff. So you can kind of take a deep breath and relax. But I want to share with you because this question comes up all the time. I get a lot of questions about Satan and people have a a misconstrued understanding of of who Satan is and what, what it's all about and what Satan can do. So I want to share with you what the Bible says about Satan. And this is not an exhaustive study. If you have other questions, you can certainly give me a call. But I'm going to lay a foundation this morning. When someone talks about Satan, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What goes through your mind? Is it, do you, is it you fear? Do you fear him? Or is Satan just, a, for you, just kind of a, a symbol of evil? As I was going through this sermon and studying, I, I, I was amazed to go back and look at statistics on what, the, what actual Christians, they, and it's hard to determine what that means when they say what Christians believe. You know, 76.5% of the population say they're Christians. Uh, I find that, you know, if you're not Jewish and you're not Muslim and you're not a Buddhist or something, therefore you've been born in America, you're a Christian. But they were saying 40% of Christians believe that Satan is a symbol of evil, not a real person. Not, not a real being, just a symbol. Well, I'll tell you what, 
if you think about what, what when, you, when I say Satan, what goes through your mind, a symbol of evil or you know, a, real, a real creature, a real person um, that causes you to fear, I, I can give you, a, I'm going to share a story with you um, that answers that question for me very clearly. When I was 17 years old, and just so you know, if you're here for the first time, I don't, I don't get up here and share a lot of it. I share experiences, but the foundation of what I believe is the word of God, and I'm going to share that the rest of the, this time. But I want to share a couple of stories with you from my own experience. And this happened when I was 17 years old. I had just come to Christ, and I was much like I am now, except I didn't know as much, but I still talked as much. And uh, I sat down with a friend of mine who was older than I was, and I wanted to share the, the love of Jesus with her. So I started to share Christ with her. I've done it before. She's a very, um, she was an argumentative person. So we'd sit down and kind of go through and debate and she'd come up with this and she was taught by these Jesuit priests or something. And so we were, and she'd walked away from the church. We got into these really good discussions. So one night we're sitting there and we're talking. And as I'm talking to her, I'm sharing the love of Christ with her. All of a sudden, um, and I'd never experienced anything like this before. I was in a good mood. I was happy that I was sharing Christ. I was all excited. And all of a sudden, I had the most horrible, horrifying feeling. It was like a, a, a cold wind blowing right through my body. And as that experience was going on, I heard in my mind the words, you've said enough, shut up, basically. You've said enough. Stop talking. And I'm just rambling away like I'm talking now about the Lord. And, and all of a sudden, I just stopped talking. Because when, when you hear it, when you, it wasn't a verbal voice. It was in my mind and my heart. And I just, but I, the, between that feeling and that voice in my mind, it stunned me. It really, I got, the, I got like goosebumps. My hair stood in the back of my neck. And I just stopped talking. I wasn't thinking about what she was thinking. I just stopped talking because that's what I heard. When I stopped talking, she kind of just, kind of did this with her head and she said why why did you do i just stop talking right there and i said i know this is going to sound kind of strange because i don't know never having me before i'm not but i said i was sitting here talking and i and this terrible feeling came over me and a wind just kind of blowing through me and i and i just i heard this voice saying you know you said enough stop talking and she looked me right in the face she said oh man home run and i was like what does that mean and she said when when you stop talking right before you stop talking I was sitting there and I kind of glazed over because in my mind I was hearing, don't listen to him. He doesn't know anything. He's so young. What does he know? Don't just ignore, stare and ignore, but don't listen to what he's saying. And when I stopped talking, kind of pulled her back into reality of our conversation. And I told her about what I had heard and she had heard at the same time. She got the, the willies as well. And basically I went to my pastor the next day. I was a baby Christian. And I said, I drove home. I didn't say in this first service because I forgot as I was thinking about it now. I kid you not, I, w- I went home at 10 miles an hour. I had a Volkswagen, okay? On there, I was putting down the road at 10 miles an hour, looking all around me. I was, I was sincerely nervous. I was terrified, to the truth. Uh, to be honest here, I was terrified. And I, I drove home about 10 miles an hour. I got home. Next day, I got to my pastor and said, can Satan kill you? Can can, you know, can Satan kill you? And he, he explained to me who Satan was and how we have, you know, God's protection and all that kind of thing. But that was an experience that I never forgot. Now, experiences, if I, if I had each one of you up here, many of you could give me an experience probably even more elaborate than that and more uh, frightening, if you will, or overwhelming than that one. And experiences, testimonies are important. They're really important. 
But scripture is feel, filled, and this is what we base our faith on, not just our experiences. They happen, but they have to back up and support the word of God. And scripture is absolutely filled with evidence that Satan actually exists, and that he's a person and not just some symbol of evil, just some kind of, you know, something we conjure up. The Bible describes him as an angelic being with powerful influence in our lives. Powerful influence. He hates mankind, especially hates Christians. Does everything he can to derail Christians. What's really important, though, we have to understand as Christians, what the Bible tries to help us understand is that we need to have knowledge, respect, and we need to resist Satan through faith in the power that we get through Jesus Christ. And I'll describe that a little bit later, what that means. You know, I find I was sitting in my office with someone this week, and they were, I was kind of sharing with them, and they kept on asking me, well, explain that to me, explain that to me. And I, I finally I was realizing, you know what, I, I, you pick up a lot of Christian jargon, and sometimes people who are new don't really understand it. So I'll try to explain that a little bit. But we need to resist Satan, okay, through the faith that we have in the power of Jesus Christ. There, there are places, both in the Old and New Testament, that clearly describe and confirm Satan's existence. This is significant. That's really important, both Old and New Testament, because... If, if, uh, if Satan doesn't exist, if you just say to yourself as a Christian, so if Satan doesn't exist, it really calls into question the significance or the authority of the word of God. If you just say Satan's some figment of your imagination or he's just some symbol of evil, the foundation of the Bible becomes suspect. In Genesis, after the creation of man, Satan enters the picture. Genesis basically establishes the reality that Satan, of Satan working through the serpent to bring about the fall of man. That's where we, 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 sin enters the world. So you have sin entering the world. The Bible's main focus is centered on the redemptive plan that God has through Jesus Christ to overcome evil and death, Satan. Okay? So we've got to be real careful when we say things like, oh, it's just a figment of imagination or it's just a symbol of evil, all those kinds of things, because the foundation of the word of God, and I'll explain what I just said. In the garden, you have the first Adam, okay? The first Adam is tempted by the devil, okay? By Satan, through the serpent. Tempted. The first Adam fails, okay? That temptation. Sin enters the world. We are then separated from God. He walked with God in the garden. Now he's now separated from God. God then, because of his great love for us, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that God then, to, to redeem us, to bring us back into fellowship and in that relationship, he sends Jesus Christ into the world, the second Adam. The second, remember that video I showed a couple of weeks ago where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and, and they show that depiction of Satan there and the snake comes out and kind of rolls and starts talking in Jesus' ear and Jesus stands up and stares Satan right in the eye and stomps on the snake's head. Kind of like when you first saw it, it was like, whoa, there's a, there was a, there's a great word picture there. The second Adam enters the world, dies on a cross, is raised, okay, is resurrected, and through the power of his resurrection, we are then reconciled to God. Death is destroyed. Satan is overcome. Now, we, there's a battle that will ultimately come, okay? Revelation talks about the battle will ultimately come, but Jesus Christ has overcome, and now we can be back into a personal relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. The, for what the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam accomplished, okay? That's what that means. Jesus Christ came into the world. That's what Easter is all about. He died on a cross so that we can, have, we can come back into a relationship with God. 
The evidence of Satan's existence is powerful throughout the Old Testament, from Job to David to, the, to, the, to, to Israel and the rebellion, the rebellious nature of Israel. And we also see it in the, in the dreams and the visions of Isaiah and Ezekiel. So the foundation is laid in the Old Testament that Satan is real, that Satan really exists, that a person, not just a symbol. 19 of 27 books of the New Testament mention, mention Satan by one of his names. Four out of eight of the books that don't mention Satan by name imply his existence by, by talking about his demons. And so the four of the eight that are left talk about demons, which implies the existence of Satan. Okay? Then you have in the Gospels, Satan is talked about 29 times directly talked about. Out of those 29, 25 of those references are made by Jesus Christ. Jesus also had a personal experience with Satan in the desert. He was tempted by Satan in the desert. In, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says this, when Jesus was, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay, so now Jesus is in that same situation where he's being tempted. Now you need to understand something. If you say that Satan is a symbol of evil, then your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a bold-faced liar. Okay? No way around it. Don't scoot around and say, well, Jesus meant this. And He had an experience being tempted by Satan in the desert. He talks about him the majority of the time in the New Testament. The Old Testament clearly describes a person, not a symbol. Okay? So if, Jesus, if, if Satan is just some symbol and something of, of evil, whatever else you want to conjure up, then you have to say in your mind theologically that Jesus Christ is not who he said he was and he's a bull-faced liar. You've got to be careful what you say and don't say when it comes to how these th- things all tie together in the Bible. There are sometimes there are things that are figurative, obviously. Some things are cultural, obviously. But some things are not, and this is one of those that are not. Jesus clearly defined him for who he was. So what, what, kind of, what kind of being is Satan? Like I just described, the Bible clearly defines him as a person, not as a symbol. Satan has a personality. A personality has three basic components. Intellect, right? You have intellect, emotion, and the will. Satan has all three of those. Intellect, emotion, and will. We find his intellect and his desire and his ability, okay, to to influence us, to corrupt us, to deceive us. You know, you think sometimes, oh, you know, people say the devil made me do it or those kinds of things. Well, in reality, that is true. There are some things sometimes that you are, there's things poured into you. Have you ever been sitting there? I'm just going to use this as an example because it ha- once in a while happened to me. You ever sitting there minding your own business? You're not thinking anything negative or wrong. And then all of a sudden some thought comes to your mind. And you're like, where on earth did that? And it's not good. Where did that come from? You know, you're, 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 not, you're not having any feelings of negativity towards someone and all of a sudden, for no reason, something, is, something comes to mind that just gets you all worked up and you, you don't forgive this person anymore and you, all these angry feelings come back up or you're minding your own business and thoughts come into your mind. You're like, wait, I wasn't thinking about that and I was not having like emptiness in my brain. It just comes and you say to yourself, where, my goodness, you don't think about it. The Bible talks about how Satan pours in or evil is poured into. So Satan has the ability to deceive us. Also the ability to communicate with others in the Bible. So you have the intellect there. You have it there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 11, verse 3, 
He says this, but I, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That is the, the goal of evil, to lead your mind astray, to pull you away from your focus on Jesus Christ. You're moving along in your spiritual walk and all of a sudden something happens. You find yourself off the path. You make a, you make a decision based upon you know, you're pulled in that direction. And then all of a sudden it's like the guilt and the shame overcome you. And you walk further and further away from Christ. And as you walk further and further away, you keep hearing these voices saying, how could, you, how could you possibly think God could forgive you? How many times have you done this over and over and over again? He can't forgive you. You're a loser. You're a sinner. You're all these things and you feel horrible so you stay away from church and you stop reading your bible and you stop praying and the enemy's sitting there going perfect we've distanced him from christ we pulled him away made them ineffective if he can't take you to hell with them the best thing he can do is make you ineffective here on earth you loser you sinner you the, the guilt i can't how many how often have you asked for forgiveness for that same thing you keep doing over and over again he can't forgive you if you were really a christian you wouldn't do it the 50th time or whatever else like somehow the grace of jesus christ dying on the cross is not sufficient to take care of every sin i have ever committed i've committed today and i'll commit in the future spare me with the lies see the thing is if you don't know the word of god you believe that stuff it gets it's whispered in your ear. You're, you're worthless. What those people told you when you were growing up. He keeps whispering it. See, well, here's what happens. Here, let me tell you something. Here's what happens, okay? Someone says you're ugly or you're stupid. You're never amount to anything. You're this, you're that. And it goes into your mind. And those lies, and Satan whispers them, that evil whispers them over and over and over in your mind. You think we live in a spiritual world. The, spirit, the, the spiritual world hears what goes on in your life and, just, and, and, and tries to encourage or build a foundation on lies. Yeah, you're a loser. Boy, if, 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 if that would have never happened to you if you'd adjust, it's your fault. You may have been five or six, it's still your fault. Whatever, that little lies. And, and, that, and those lies get woven into the fabric of your life. And you wonder why you struggle now because every time you feel like you're getting strong, he pulls on the string a little bit and reminds you of what happened to you or whatever else and what a loser and what it is and what a sinner and all these kind of things that you are. All lives in the pit of hell that we live out in our lives. And that's why we're not as effective as we could be because we're listening to those voices instead of listening to the truth. And that's how he deceives us. His emotions are exposed and his will is clearly seen. So you have the intellect, emotions, and will clearly seen in his rebellion against God and total, utter desire to destroy the lives of those who believe in Jesus Christ. In the Bible, Satan is not described, my friends, as an it, but as a person. If you think that Satan's an it or some symbol, you're making a terrible mistake because that's exactly, it's exactly what evil would want you to believe. It doesn't exist. And you'll pull, they'll pull you. They'll, they, they, these people will come along and give you the intellectual stuff. Oh, man, you poor, you poor, sappy Christian believing in God and the spiritual world and the supernatural. Only a fool and an idiot believes in the supernatural, especially Satan. Ooh, scary, scary. I can't believe you believe in those stories. And we sit back and shrink back and go, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of silly. I don't want to believe in that. I'd rather believe in nothing creating everything because that's really intellectual. You know, when someone can explain how nothing can create everything 
and someone explained to me how a 60-million-year-old 60 fossil could have soft tissue, then I'll shrink back and go, oh, gee, I'm really nervous about your intellect. They intellectually intimidate you. So you talk about the reality of a spiritual world, and you're at your, they kind of try to treat you like you're some kind of intellectual numbskull. And you shrink back. Satan is real. God is real, okay? Real. And it takes more faith to believe that nothing created everything than God, who's the first cause, created everything. Please understand that. I don't have enough faith to believe in what some people believe, that nothing just created everything. Everything appeared out of nothing. Scientifically, completely impossible, but I'm supposed to believe that. I tell people all the time, you know what? I'd love to believe it. You, you have way too much faith for me. I don't, I'm a pastor, but I don't have that much faith. So don't be intimidated by people's intellect and telling you all these things. Satan wants nothing more for you to realize, think about, oh, it's not really exists, just a symbol. The Bible doesn't describe Satan as an it, but as a person. Ezekiel 28, 14 and 16 says, You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. It's important to notice that Satan is held morally accountable, morally responsible. Imperfect forces and symbols are not held morally accountable and responsible for what goes on. Understand that. When the Bible talks about Satan, there's moral accountability. Only persons who reflect the moral image of their creator are held responsible and accountable. Satan has been judged and will be judged. We find that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, it talks about the sheep and the goats. Puts those in his right, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. And to those on his left, he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into your eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Satan is real and hell is real. I'm not trying to scare anyone or going to shake my fist and call you names and blah, blah, blah. And you're all going to get nervous and come to Jesus. I'm just telling you with very calm demeanor, Satan is real. Hell is real. Let me explain something to you from a biblical perspective. I never want to get up here and offend you personally. Jeff Greer does not want to offend. And a lot of time, you'll know this if you've been here, if I say something, I'll say, this is my opinion. Here are my thoughts. Okay? I glean from Scripture, but here are my own thoughts and opinions. Here's what I think. In this situation, when it comes to Satan and hell and heaven and all those kinds of things we've been talking about, these are not my opinions. These are biblical facts. And I say this without any kind of, I'm not trying to, you know, get you or whatever else. But if I personally offend you, I would apologize to you personally. If the Bible offends you, I'm sorry. If the Bible offends you because you don't want to believe in a little hell or there's a Satan or anything, or somehow it, it, you know, pricks you in our culture because you want to be tolerant and all that kind of stuff. If the Bible offends, I I will stand on the word of God, and I'm sorry if that offends you. But I'm not going to water it down and make it nicey-nicey and pretend and make it symbols and all that kind of stuff. When Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who I worship with all of my heart, I will die for, says something specific, I'm going to repeat what my Lord has said, not make it so that everybody feels really comfortable with what Jesus said. He said it. It's truth. And I have to deal with truth. We all have to deal with truth. This is true. Satan is real. Hell's a real place. That's what Jesus said. Let me share some other facts about Satan that will help you in your understanding. Because you need to understand. In order to overcome your enemy or to deal with your enemy, you need to understand your enemy. First, Satan was created by God. 
He was pure, not corrupted the way he is now. When God created Satan, there was purity there. Ezekiel 28, 15 says, You were blameless in your steps from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Satan is a created being, and as such, he is not equal with God in any way. Here's one of those the, the things that we get messed up in our culture because, you know, we watch these cartoons or watch the shows on TV. Somehow Satan and God are equal in power. It's like a pop gun against a nuclear warhead. They're not equal, okay? Satan does not have the powers of God. Satan is not equal with God in any way, though he, through his own deceitful mind and prideful mind, wanted to become like God. His ultimate motive is to lead you and I away from Jesus Christ like we just talked about and for us to follow after him, either not believe him at all or somehow follow after him, to be led by him in the way we think. We have a biblical worldview as Christians. We have a biblical worldview. And then you have other worldviews. And that, if it's not a biblical worldview, then it's, then, it, then, it's not, then it's not of Christ. It's not of God. And that's what Satan wants. He ultimately wants to lead you away from Jesus Christ. You know, you ever, you ever see, the, well, you've seen them all the time. Tomorrow's Halloween, perfect timing for this, isn't it? And you have, uh, you'd be going out tomorrow like everybody nervous. Um, Satan with the horns and with the long tail and the red suit and everything. That came from early on as, as Christians, what they would do is they, they looked at the word of God and said, what's his number one Achilles heel kind of thing? It was pride. And so they were mocking him with the horns and the tail and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it's not a biblical representation of, of, of Satan, I'll explain what that is in a second, but that's not a biblical representation. But it was kind of jabs. They were jabs at Satan because Satan, through pride, wanted to become like God. Edwin Lewis Cole wrote this, God is the creator, Satan is the counterfeiter. I had a student when I was in youth ministry about 15 or 18 years ago who was in King's High School, and I would go around and study youth culture. I love to study youth culture and get an understanding of why students dressed the way they did, where they hung out, who they hung around with, so I could, I could share the love of Christ with each of those different subcultures or student groups. So I saw this guy stand there in a group of 10 students. They had black hair, black fingernails, you know, a big, you know, Satan, you know, symbol there and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I walked up to him. You can imagine a youth pastor walking over the group of students like that. And I said, hey, um, I see that you, you know, you're going to dress a little different. I'd love to understand what you all believe. I'd love to sit down. I'll buy you all dinner. We'll sit down, have pizza, and you tell me what you believe. The leader of that group kind of walked forward and said, I'll, I'll talk to you. You're not going to talk to anybody else, but I'll talk to you. So I took him to Bob Evans. It's always great for a pastor and, <laughs> and Satanist to go to Bob Evans. And we're sitting around. I'm not kidding you. There was no other conversation going on at Bob Evans at all that day. I'm not, you know, we're talking and everybody else is kind of like, what's going on over there, you know? And we were talking and he was, it was incredible he, what he said. Because as Satan tries to deceive, this is why I'm telling you this story. He sat down and basically said, that in his room, he has a 10-foot demon called Belay. And he described them in detail, the conversations they would have. And it wasn't like, you know, he was just speaking truth from, from where, what he, where he came from. And this demon that was in his room named Belay, and he said, he basically said that, he said that you, you Christians have it all mixed up. Satan is good and God is evil. God is evil. He said God is an egotistical, and he used a really bad word, and he went on to talk about how God's this and God's that and the truth is Satan is this and Satan is that and I embrace him and he's my, he's my Lord. He's the Lord. And it showed me in a very practical way how Satan twists the mind of people. 
how that can literally happen in people's lives. And I thought to myself, well, maybe it's not happening in my life or your lives, but, but are we being twisted in little ways like the frog in the kettle to believe things, social things that come along, okay? What used to be wrong is now right. What used, to be, what used to be bad is now good. And we all kind of get pulled along. We all kind of you know, want to go along because, again, they want to in, intellectually intimidate us. And we also want to intimidate us socially because if you don't go along with all their social ideas, then you're somehow a racist or a bigot or a whatever else. They call you all kinds of names. And, of course, we shrink back because they're calling us bad names. And so we go along. And we go along and we go along to the point where you sit back now as a Christian and if you look at what Christians believe and you look at what the rest of the world believes, they're pretty, their beliefs are pretty much similar. 90% of what, they, what the world believes, the people within the church believe. What on earth happened, my friends? What on earth happens when I get up here and preach biblical truth and people don't like me preaching biblical truth? Now, I don't get that a lot, but what What happened? And the Bible even says, you know, I'm not, my job is not to tickle your ears with making everybody feel warm and fuzzy. I want you to feel, I promise, I love you with all my heart. I want you to feel, I want to feel warm and fuzzy. I want you to feel warm and fuzzy, but not by telling lies, not by be, not being dishonest. And this is what Jesus says, and this is the, this is the corruption that happens in the world. That, 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 that Satanist, that warlock, he called himself a warlock, that's the extreme, okay, But how about looking into our own lives and asking, how is Satan affecting us personally? Second, he's an angelic being. There are many scriptures that associate him with the angels. In essence, Satan is basically a spirit, finite and limited. In other words, and this is somewhere people get messed up, he cannot read your mind. Okay, doesn't intercept your prayers to God. If I, if I, if I, just, if I said right now, uh, what color am I thinking? Satan can't go in my mind and tell you what color. It was blue, okay? Didn't know it until I said it. He's not, he's not omniscient. Satan is not omniscient, doesn't have all knowledge, can't read all of our minds at the same time, doesn't know what's going on in our lives, can pour into, but doesn't, can't read your mind. Also, Satan's not omnipresent. He's one place at one time. Can't be in Africa and the United States at the same time creating havoc. Now, demons can be all over the place, okay? individual demons. But Satan is not in 20 places at one time. He's not omnipresent. Doesn't have the powers that God has. Got to understand, finite, limited creature, finite and limited. He lacks material form. And substance, therefore, is invisible. But there are times when he transforms or temporarily manifests himself in visible form. Third, Satan is a cherub angel. The the cherubim were angels that were were um, they were closely connected to God. They were they were they were if you say the inner circle of angels who had close access to God, and they basically um, guarded his, his, his holiness. So you have these angels around the throne of God, these powerful angels around the throne of God, in, in very close access to God, spending the time with God. And as I was thinking through this, I thought, wow, these angels would have been in a beautiful, I mean beautiful, holy, perfect environment, and shows you, it gives you the depth of the, of the total uh, rebellious heart that Satan has. That re- to be in that environment and have that rebellious heart. And let me stop for a moment and just say, that's why it's so important. It's okay to stand up for what you believe. It's okay to be bold. It's okay to, to point out wrongs in the world and to stand for what's right. But there's a difference between that and just sinful rebellion against God, against your parents, against authority when there's no reason to be. 
It's okay to state your, your heart and state the facts and stand up for what's right. But you need to be very careful. If you're in rebellion, okay, flat out rebellion, is not of God. And you've got to ask yourself, where is that rebellious heart coming from? You know me. I'm ready to take on the world. I'll pick a fight anytime I can pick a fight against evil or what's wrong. But there's a difference between being bold and a warrior for Christ and being rebellious in your heart. And if you're rebellious in your heart, you need to ask yourself, where is that coming from? Where does that come from? Fourth, he was first in position among all creatures. Ezekiel 28:14 says, you were anointed as a, as, as a guardian cherub. So I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. The title anointed means he was in a high position as a guardian for God. He was a guardian for God. We we are also told that he had tremendous beauty and wisdom. In Ezekiel chapter 28, 12 and 13, it says, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. To this day, he still has some of the authority he had when, before he had fallen, before the fall. Because he is in charge of, he has authority over all those angels that have fallen. Therefore, he's very powerful and very dangerous. Dangerous because as the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. You need to understand this. This is important. This is so important. Satan doesn't come along with a pitchfork and horns in his face and a big long tail with fire breathing all around him and go, oh, I'm going to nail you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to, oh, boy, you better be afraid of me. It doesn't come that way. It comes as an angel of light to deceive. How can you say that person's wrong? That's not loving. That's not kind. That's not Christ-like. Let everybody do what they want to do. Let me give you a little example of following that to its logical conclusion. And I'm going, to, I'm going to go around the words here. You're all mature enough to stick with me. If the child is being abused in some not very good way, okay, and the person who's doing it, you confront, is it wrong for you to say that behavior is wrong, that is, that is immoral, that is unethical, that whatever, you want, whatever words you want to use to stop that behavior? Couldn't I just come along and say, oh, don't tell that person that. That's just the way they are. That's not loving. That's not kind. That's not Christ-like to tell that. That's going to hurt their feelings. They're going to feel bad about themselves because you confront. I mean, at what point? And what, come on, think about this for a second. At what point is it okay to talk and confront sin in this world? Oh, you're not being tolerant. You're not being caring. You're not being compassionate. You're not being loving. Oh, you know what? Yes, I am. Because I'm protecting the innocent and I'm calling out the sin or the evil in someone's life and calling them to repentance, which could save their lives and save their family's lives and the li- a life of sheer misery because I will call out what I see that is wrong and maybe save that person's life and protect others from a life of absolute horror and misery. But that would be wrong. So just let people do what they want to do. Just keep, mind your own business, not in your backyard. Just leave it alone. Be, it's, see what I'm saying? It sounds so nice. It comes as an angel of light. They use all nice words. And everyone ends up dead and miserable. Right? Think about it. Everyone ends up dead and miserable. And you get called names for standing up for what you know to be right. Woe to those who could call good evil and evil good, who call sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet, who call darkness for light and light for darkness. 
We've got to remember that in this, in this age right now. I believe that verse is for this age. Satan comes by many names in the Bible. There are more, about 40 names for Satan. Those, some of those describe his character, his activities, his position, like prince of this world, prince of the power of the air, uh, you know, uh, prince, prince of demons, prince of this age. Satan, Satan basically rules this world, and Christians, we are in his territory. Hates our guts. That is why many times our lives don't go the way we, we had planned, don't go the way we'd like them to go. There's all kinds of roadblocks and frustrations and difficulties and misery. There's a the reason for that. Listen, my friends, you're behind enemy lines. Do you understand that? This world is not our home, okay? This is not our home. We are aliens and strangers here. One day, one day, it will be. One day when Christ returns, okay? But right now, we're, we, we are behind enemy lines. We're in enemy territory. Take that, put your life in that perspective or that context. Doesn't that help you understand some of the why questions you ask? Why is this and why does that happen? I don't understand this and why does my life go? It helps you understand some of the why questions as a believer that you have, it's not always God disciplining you. It's sometimes the evil one, enemy, trying to destroy your life and discourage you so you'll walk away from God. There are also names that reflect his character. The name, we get the name Lucifer from Isaiah 14 and verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Lucifer comes from astrology. It means light bearer. Light bearer. Lucifer is a Latin translation for, for morning star. The Hebrew translation is day star. You have the idea of, of that light. Satan's used 50, 52 times in the, in the Bible, and it means adversary. The devil is used 35 times, and it means the one who trips up, the one who trips us up, or slander. So you have these, these terms. There are names that reflect his activity, such as deceiver and tempter and accuser and liar and the one who's at work in the sons of disobedience. There it is again. The one who is at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 tells us, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, as we better understand Satan, here's what happens sometimes. I just gave you all that information. When he was a symbol of, of nastiness and evil, nah, he could deal with that. But all of a sudden now, as we read the word of God and believe the word of God, he's a person, a creature with power and authority and, 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 and the ability to do things. All of a sudden that could create a spirit of fear in us. But I'm not going to leave us hanging right there, okay? Because I want to share a, a Bible verse you've heard before. I'm going to share two stories that help us understand who we are in Christ, that when we came to Christ, we were filled with the spirit of the living God and we're filled with the spirit of the living God. That means something. We have the spirit that lives in us. So in first Peter chapter five and verse eight, it says, be self-controlled and alert, right? That's what I've been telling you. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, someone to devour. And you read that and you say, yeah, I know, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I'm in enemy territory and behind enemy lines and I'm getting my head handed to me. My family's in trouble and I'm in trouble and I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm, I'm slipping back there and boy, I'm getting killed over here. And then you're telling me now Satan's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I've seen devourers eat up different antelope and things on TV. It's not a pretty picture. And so we get this maybe this spirit of fear. It could cause us, those things could cause us to fear. But, but let me share with you 
what happens, okay? I love this. I was studying this, and these two verses came together at the same time in about an hour of studying years back. Let me share with you what happens to a roaring lion when it comes up against someone who's filled with the spirit of the living God, who is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Let me share with you what happens when, when that takes place, when a roaring lion stands up against someone filled with the spirit of God. Remember what the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I got two stories for you. The first one comes from Judges 14, 5 and 6. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a roaring lion, Lion came, a young lion came roaring toward them. And this is what it says. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Take that. Come on with that. The same is roaring young. You ever see a young roaring lion? They always come in and beat the other old lions up and take over the pride. They're fierce. They're nasty. And a young roaring lion comes toward him and the spirit of God comes upon him and he tears the lion apart as he would tear apart a young goat. In scripture, here's the reality. When Satan comes up, when a roaring lion comes up against someone who's filled with the spirit of the living God, the lion comes out on the short end of the stick. You don't have to fear. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I know who I am. I'm a person who belongs to God. I'm filled with the spirit of God. Let me share one more story from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. Benaiah, who we talked about a couple months ago. Remember back there we talked about Benaiah went through the, the, that, that whole story? Benaiah, son of Joadah, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. Every time a lion goes up, he's one of David's mighty men. When you go up a mighty, against a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, the end result is always the same. You get slaughtered. Even if I'm martyred, I still win. I still win. And what's great about Benaiah here was Benaiah didn't wait for the lion to come out of the pit and go running off and get a spear or something like that. Benaiah went on the offensive and jumped into the pit and killed the lion. Samson didn't run away and hide up some tree. He stood his ground. Yeah, I told you this. I'll I'll tell you this. I'll keep telling you this. When you have the arm of God on, the only place you're vulnerable is in the back. So if you're not retreating, you're not vulnerable. What does the Bible say? What can man do to me? Take my life. We have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We win. Okay, my friends? We win. Jesus Christ is with us now. And one day our Lord and Savior will return. And Satan will finally, ultimately be destroyed. But even in this life, even in this life, we go on the offensive. We march for Jesus Christ. We live our lives with boldness, not in fear. Because ultimately we know the one who lives us in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And ultimately we win. I want you to stand with me as we close and sing in this song. And sing with all of your heart. Sing your heart out.